0: Tonight, uh, let me transition us. Tonight, we start off this new series called The Simple Life, and I'm excited about this because we just finished a series that we've been doing for like the last two months called Organic Faith. And in that series, we've been digging in kind of deep on what we believe, what what is our faith, our theology, our doctrine, our set of beliefs. And so each week, we got we got kind of deep in some of that stuff. And sometimes when you get deep like that, it's easy to look and maybe feel look at Christianity and feel like it's very very complicated like it's very complex and listen hear me right god is complex right there is so much to god and we're complex like how much can we fully know each other right human beings are complex beings imagine how complex our creator is and so there's so much for us to get to know so much for us to understand about him get that but listen the christian life is actually a pretty simple thing Like The Christian life is actually not all of that complex. Sometimes we want to make it complex. Sometimes we want to make it complicated, but it really isn't. And that doesn't mean that we always know the right thing to do, that we always have crystal clear answers to every decision that we're facing in our life. It doesn't mean that. But at its core, living as a Christian is not that complicated. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to get a chance to kind of flesh that out together. We're going to dig into that a little bit. But in a nutshell, what we said is the Christian life, the simple life, what it does, if you saw from the bumper, it starts out with our commitment. It starts out with our commitment. And so Jesus said something very interesting that we're going to look at tonight in Mark chapter 2. He said it in a couple other places as well. Mark chapter 2. He said two words. He said, follow me. He said it to a lot of different people. Two words absolutely loaded with meaning and implications for our lives. We're going to dig into that tonight. Our commitment. It also calls the Christian life is also about our calling right each of us God has given each of us a calling and our calling is to be ministers of reconciliation. That's what we're going to dig into next week, the calling that you and I each have in our lives as followers of Jesus. We have our commitment, our calling, and then we have our mission. God has given each of us a mission. The mission is to go and make disciples, make more followers, right? We're going to look at that in two weeks. So in a nutshell, that's where we're going. Short little series, but in a nutshell, that's where we're going, saying, listen, here's the Christian life. It's not that complex. It's actually a pretty simple life when you think about it. So I'm excited to dig into all of that stuff with you. So tonight we're going to talk about commitment. Commitment. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word commitment. Like we live in sort of a, a commitment-phobic culture, don't we? Like commitment's kind of a dirty word around here, right? Like we don't like to commit to things because if we commit to things, we might miss out on other things that we really want. All right, like you see this all over the place. You see it in relationships, right? Like I don't want to commit to a relationship. Guys, we can be terrible about this. I don't want to commit to a relationship because maybe something better might come along, right? You see this with college students. College students have a hard time committing to a major. I don't remember what the exact number is. Something like 23 times college students change their major over the course. I don't know, it's an exaggeration, right? right? You see it in college students. You see it in jobs, we look, always looking for greener pastures elsewhere. I've talked to a lot of people that have left a job that they really like to go to one that eh, may be a little bit better. If you're an event planner, you know exactly about this, right? Commitment, something like, uh, the vast majority, I'll say it that way, the vast majority of people sign up for an event the week before the event, even if it's promoted for like three months ahead of time, that week, that's why people give early word specials, right, when you sign up for things, like junior camp coming up, ready to be signed up for, guys. Even, even I like. I feel this too. You know, we, we had uh, we have a vacation coming up, and we had to get uh, we had to plan it out like three months ago, and get airline tickets like three months ago. I remember thinking, three months, man, that's a long time. What if something better comes up during that week? It's vacation, right? Like, what better could come up? What's wrong with me? So we live in this 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 uh, culture that's commitment phobic, and yet, and yet. Being a Christian is fundamentally about making a commitment. It's about you and I making a commitment to follow Jesus. And so here's what I want you to do. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to take it out and flip it open to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we got a whole table full of them back there. If you raise your hand, Steve or somebody will come and they'll give you a Bible. If you don't have one of your own, boy, I, just take it. We would love for you to have that. But in your Bibles, your Bibles are divided into two sections, right? We have the first section is the Old Testament. The second section is the New Testament. And so Mark is in the New Testament. It's in the second part of your Bible, and it's the second book in the New Testament. And so at the beginning of Mark, you see Jesus doing some things. You see Jesus really doing three things. He does some miracles and healings, right? Like you get to see some of the supernatural things that he does as God the Son. You get to see some of his teaching. Jesus teaches in the early part of, of the Gospel of Mark. And then you get to see him calling people, calling people to follow him. And when you get to the middle of chapter 2, you see Jesus interacting with a guy named Levi or Matthew. He's also called Matthew, and this is the same guy who would ultimately write the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. And so, this is Jesus meeting Matthew for the first time. And Matthew is a tax collector. You know what a tax collector was back then? A little bit different than an IRS agent today, right? A tax collector was a guy. He was a Jewish guy who was detested by the other Jews. He was despised by the other Jews, and here's why: the Romans ruled the Jews at that time, right? They ruled over them. The Jews weren't free. And the Jews didn't like to be ruled by the Romans. The Romans could be kind of rotten rulers. And so usually these tax collectors were Jews who were employed by the Romans to collect taxes for them from the Jews, right? And so a Jewish tax collector was somebody who was working for the enemy. That's what they were. And so they were despised. And then on top of that, beyond that, many times they collected more taxes than what was actually due, You know why? line in pockets a little bit, right? They're going to collect taxes from people. Why not take a little bit extra? And so they lied and they cheated to people. And so these were people that were despised by the other Jews. So this guy Matthew, Levi, he wasn't a very popular guy. He would have been an outcast among the Jews, which he chose to be, right? Nobody forces you to be a tax collector back then. He chose to do that. That's what he was committed to. And so he would have been shunned by the respectable people and left to hang out with other tax collectors and Jews. I'm Tax collectors and sinners, excuse me, which is interesting in the the new testament many times tax collectors and sinners Those were two things that were coupled together almost synonymous terms, right? Like that's what they thought of tax collectors back then So you have this guy matthew this guy levi who's a tax collector slash sinner And he meets jesus. I want you to check it out. This is mark chapter 2 starting in verse 13 once again, jesus went out beside the lake A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. The parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke. Luke writes about the same story, the same thing happening with Levi, the same encounter. And in the parallel passage, Luke says that he left everything to follow him. Okay, So Levi got up, he left everything and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You can almost hear it in their voice, like, why would he do that, right? Looking down their noses at them. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So, so Jesus is out teaching, and he meets Levi, right, sitting at his tax collector's booth, doing his job, doing what he was supposed to do, cheating people and working for the enemy. That's what he was doing, right? And probably he had heard Jesus' teaching, whether or not he heard that particular teaching that Jesus just gave, or else he heard stories of what Jesus had done. He probably had some sort of familiarity with Jesus. And so Jesus sees Levi. He makes eye contact with Levi, and he stops, and he talks to him, and he says, Levi, follow me. He says, follow me. And I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss what happened here. Jesus was teaching a bunch of people about God and the kingdom of God. And when he was done, wherever he was going next, where does he stop? Where does he stop? He stops at the tax collector's booth to talk to the most hated guy in town. Right? Don't miss that. He finishes teaching. He could go anywhere he wants. Where does he go? He goes to the tax collector's booth to talk to the guy that nobody else liked. Talk to the guy that nobody else wanted to talk to. The guy that everybody knew was a sinner. Levi knew it too. He knew it about himself. He knew what he was doing, and he knew what people thought about him. And so Jesus stops there. It doesn't say that he stopped at the synagogue. To talk to the religious leaders. That's not where he stopped. It doesn't say he went to the palace, that he stopped at the palace to talk to the civic leaders, to talk with, with the king and the most influential people. It says he stopped at the tax collector's booth to talk to the scum, to talk to the traitor, to talk to the guy who is clearly a sinner. Don't miss that. Don't miss who it is that Jesus pursued. So important for us. And so we don't know what they talked about, but surely Jesus said more to him than just two words, right? But we know that he said those two words. At some point during the conversation, he says those two words. He says, follow me. And what did the most hated, the most rotten guy in town do? He got up, he left everything, and he followed him, right? He followed him. Notice, Jesus didn't ask him to clean up his act first. I want you to follow me, but, but before you do, clean up your act. I know what you do. You're a sinner. He doesn't ask him that. He doesn't ask him to, to stop overcharging people first. He doesn't ask him to do that. He doesn't ask him to pay back people that you've overcharged in the past first. Then come follow me. He didn't ask him to be perfect from that point on, and then you could follow me if you commit to do that. He asks him, he makes him an offer, right? He says, Levi, follow me. And Levi gets up. He jumps at the offer, right? And he follows Jesus. You know, you know what it reminds me of? I don't, I don't know if you guys did this. I remember this as a kid. I asked my wife. She didn't really remember. Do you remember playing follow the leader as a kid? Right. Okay. Good. Some of you did. Thank you. Follow the leader. Like you get in line behind somebody's the leader, and you kind of line up behind them, and you got to do everything that the leader does. Right. And so if the leader runs across the yard, you got to run across the yard. If the leader like crawls under the fence, you got to crawl under the fence. If the leader jumps in a rain puddle, you got to jump in the rain puddle. Wherever the and follow the leader. Wherever the leader moves, the followers move right along with them. Right. That's that's like the game. Okay, guys, listen. On on the back of your program, you've got a place to write things down. I would love it. i got one sentence for you tonight. That's all I want you to write down. One sentence, okay? Here's the first part of the sentence. Ready? When Jesus says, follow me, he asks us to move. When Jesus says, follow me, he says it over and over again in the New Testament to lots of different people. When Jesus says, follow me, he asks us to move. Listen, following Jesus is not just a state of mind. It's not just something that I believe in my mind. It's not just something that I believe in my heart. It is that, but it's so much more. It's not just attesting to a set of beliefs. Like in in the organic faith series, we said, this is Christianity. These are core beliefs in Christianity. Following Jesus is not just attesting to to a set of beliefs and then living a quiet, solitary life. That's What it is. Following Jesus always involves movement, right? That's what following is. It always involves movement. We go where He leads, we do what He does. Let me ask you a question Do you believe that Jesus, God the Son, is active in this world? Do you, do you believe he's active in this world? I, I believe that. Do you believe he's active in people's, in people's hearts, and people's lives, in people, people's circumstances? Yes? Well, let me ask you this. As people who are following him, what do you think we should be doing? Moving, right? Moving with him. Following our leader. If he's active in people's lives, we should be too. Now, the movement of following Jesus really involves two things. There's a positive effect and there's a negative effect. There's a positive side and there's a negative side. What's the positive side? Well, I commit to something, right? I commit to start moving a particular way. What way? Jesus' way. My leader's way. Well, what's his way look like? Well, where does he lead us? Like, what are the things that Jesus did? Well, that's a good question. What are the things that Jesus did? When I look at Jesus, when I pick this up, and I read this, and I look at his life, one of the things that's very clear to me is that he loved God, right? Like, he sure did seem to love God. If my leader loves God, I guess I should probably love God, right? Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were trying to, to kind of pin Jesus down, trying to trip him up a little bit, and they asked him a question. One of them asked him a question. and said, what's the most important law, Jesus? What's the most important law? So I said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Here's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. If I'm following Jesus, if I'm going to move with Jesus, if I'm going to do what he did, what's the first thing I notice about him? Boy, sure did He seem to love God, right? I guess I should love God. Good. What else? Well, he sure did seem to love people, didn't he? He did a lot of really, really good things for people. When you pick this up and read it, you go, wow, he, he really loved people. In fact... If you go back to that same passage, he actually they ask him what the greatest commandment is. He goes on, and he says, "The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself." All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus sure did seem to love people. If I'm going to be his follower, I guess I should probably love people, right? Good. What else? Well, he sure was humble. I mean, he's the son of God, God the son, and yet he was so humble. I guess I should be humble, right? He sure did serve a lot of people. Even though he's the one who deserved to be served, boy, he sure did serve a lot of people. I guess I should be a guy that serves a lot of people, right? He sure did seem to to really care about people, people that were hurting and struggling, like so compassionate for people. I guess I should really care about people who are hurting and struggling, even when they're hurting and struggling because of their own choices, because Jesus still loved them, right? Right? Good. What else? Well, he sure was patient with people. I guess I should be patient with people. Good. What else? Well, he seemed to want to honor God with his life more than anything else. Maybe I should want to honor God with my life more than anything else. See, guys, it's not not all that complicated, right? I should just do what my leader does. I should do what my leader did, follow him. I commit to move like him. That's the positive side of it, right? I commit to move the way that he moved. But there's also a negative part to this. If I commit to starting to act like my leader and do what he does, then I need to stop doing the things that he didn't do or that he wouldn't do, right? The word that the Bible uses to describe this event is called repentance. Repentance means I turn from the things that are not in keeping with my leader. My leader does things a certain way. If I'm doing things a different way, I turn from those things and I stop doing them, right? This is the negative side. Give me an example. Well, maybe I like to steal, but Jesus didn't steal. So I guess I should turn from that. I probably shouldn't steal. Right? Maybe I like to get what I want. I like getting what I want. It's really important to me. But Jesus was pretty selfless, right? I mean, he was the opposite of selfish. And so I begin to turn away from my selfishness. I don't feel good acting like that anymore. Maybe, maybe I like to be the most important person in a room, right? When I walk in the room, I want people to have their eyes on me. I want people to say, man, that Jeff is a really good guy. But boy, you look at Jesus, and he took the the posture of a humble servant, right? And so I move away from my pride. I don't want to act that way anymore because my leader didn't act that way. See, this is what repentance is. It's committing to turn away from the things that aren't very much like my leader because following my leader is really, really important to me. And it's more important to me than doing the things that I might naturally want to do. And sometimes, guys, that's hard. Right? Sometimes that's hard. Why? Because sometimes I really like doing things my way. Even when I know it's not good. Even when I know it's not healthy. Even when I know it might hurt other people. Sometimes, I mean, if I, especially if I've been doing it for a long time. I've been selfish for a long time, it's really hard to turn away from that selfishness, right? But being a Christian means following Jesus. And the commitment to following him becomes the most important thing in my life, right? Here's the good news, by the way. It does get easier. Right? Like, it does get easier because over time, as we follow him, he changes us. And those things that we loved so much that we know are not consistent with him become less attractive. They become less savory to us. Right? Fundamentally, when Jesus says, follow me, he asks us to move. To move like he moved. To be like Him, right? And here's the thing. We don't just move on our own. It's not just about moving. It's not just about following some sort of set of rules, like we look at the Bible that way. It's not just about moving. Here's the second part of your sentence, ready? When Jesus says, follow me, He asks us to move with Him. With Him. See, the, see, the commitment to being a Christian, to following Jesus, is all about a relationship, right? Right? Anytime you have a leader and a follower, they have a relationship with each other. The follower has a relationship with the leader. The leader has a relationship with the follower. He doesn't expect us to follow somebody who's not there, right? It's tough to play follow the leader alone. It's not very fun. It's not a thing, right? (laughs) And God's not some sort of impersonal force. Sometimes we can make him out to be that. He's not some sort of impersonal force, like like the force from Star Wars. I love Star Wars, but God is nothing like the force. That's not Christianity. That's more like Buddhism or Taoism than Christianity, right? That's not who God is. God's not like that. He's got personality, like we do. He can be known personally. He can be known deeply. He can be known intimately, and he wants us to know him that way. Think about, think about any human relationship. Anyone. They all take time, right? Think about whatever relationship, whether it's a best friend, a, a boyfriend, or girlfriend, or spouse. They all take time. You have to spend time together to get to know each other. And your best, your deepest relationships, in those, the more time that you spend together, the more you get to know each other, the more you love each other, and the more you enjoy each other, Right? I have a friend. He was telling me um, this past week a story that his pastor told him uh, recently. So this is not original to me and I'll fudge the details a little bit but essentially this is what he said. He said, yeah, um, so this is the pastor talking. He, he's saying that he went um, somewhere with his wife. I don't remember where it was and they had been really busy lately and they were about to leave and they looked down and they have their little puppy dog and the puppy dog looks up at them with like these pathetic puppy dog eyes, right? Like, where are you going <laughs> right like you're leaving again because they had been really busy lately and they kind of neglected the dog they kind of neglected to take the dog for a walk and you know they hadn't played fetch with the dog they had a snuggle time with the dog for a while and so the wife says she looks down at the dog the dog's looking up so pathetic the wife looks down at the dog and she says "Aw, i love you fido i don't know if it's fido or not right <laughs> i love you fido just because we don't spend time with you doesn't mean we don't love you. Just because we don't spend time with you doesn't mean we don't love you. And for whatever reason, that struck the husband and it made, a think, it made him think about like how often we say that sort of thing to God or how often we feel that sort of thing to God and how really untrue that is. He thought about it, and the truth is, it's really tough for us as human beings to love someone or something much when we have the ability to spend time with them, but we don't. We choose not to. It's really an indicator that other things in our lives are more important to us, right? I think I agree with that. I think i agree with that how much would you really love and enjoy your best friend if you had the ability to spend time with them but you chose not to like how much do you really love them or, or maybe you think of your boyfriend or your girlfriend like if you had the ability to spend time with them but you just chose not to over and over and over again like how much do we really love them or think about our spouse, my, my wife's name's Marcia. Like how deep of a love could Marcia and I develop if we had the ability to hang out together, to like go to meals together, to talk uninterrupted, for me to hear what's going on in her life and her heart, for her to hear what's going on in mine. If we had the ability to do that, but we chose not to. Like how much would we really be loving each other? Guys, listen, it's no different with God. It's no different with God. Following Jesus means we move with him. It's not just about moving. It's not just about doing things. But we move with him. We spend time with him. We talk to him in prayer. And we listen to him in prayer. We read about him in our Bible. right? We talk to other people about him. He becomes our priority. And other things get cut. Other things get said no to. We slow down our lives and we just be with him. It's tough to love him very much without that. Like it's, it's tough. If I'm not with him, if he's not a priority in my life, it's tough for me to, to really deeply love him. I was thinking about this this week. This is a, a really challenging and humbling thought for me this week. How much time, I was just thinking about like my time and how much time I spend with God compared to other things in my life, right? So the first thing I thought of was my wife, Marsha. I thought, how much time do I spend with Marsha? Which is important. She's my wife, right? Like that's an important thing to do. How much time do I spend with Marsha compared to how much time I spend with God? And I started thinking about my kids. It's important for me to spend time with my kids, right? To invest in their lives, to be a good daddy to them. How much time do I spend with my kids compared to how much time I spend with God? And I started thinking about my friends. I like, to, I like to work out with some guys. I think, how much time I spend with these guys and other friends compared to how much time I spend with God? And I started thinking about TV. I like to watch sports on TV, right? March Madness tonight happening right now. How much time do I spend with my TV compared to how much time I spend with God? How much time do I spend wasted on Facebook? It's not all a waste, but a lot of it is, let's be honest, right? How much time do I spend there compared to how much time I spend with God? How loved would you feel by someone who chose to spend very little time with you? Boy, that gets personal, doesn't it? And I don't say that to make us feel guilty. That's not why I bring this up. But maybe to make us feel a little bit about what God feels. Like he wants to spend time with us. He adores us. He adores you. He misses you. And I can very easily neglect him if I'm not careful. I can act like I'm playing follow the leader all by myself and focus just on moving, doing things if I'm not careful. But following Jesus means I move with him, right? That relationship is so, so, so important. One of the things that Jesus said... If I were to just be real transparent with you, if I were to be just real honest with you, that I think is the most challenging thing for me to live out consistently is something that he said in Matthew chapter 10. And we'll throw it up on the screen here. And this is kind of the the last thing I want to talk about in in our sentence here as we talk about committing to follow Jesus. I want you to just listen. We'll throw it up on the screen. I want you to just listen to this. This is very, very challenging for me to consistently live out in my life. So it's Jesus talking, and he says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I'll disown before my Father in heaven. And then he says this. He says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life, for my sake, will find it. That's challenging for me. Because I look at my wife, I look at my kids, I look at my family, I look at you guys, and I think, boy, you're so important to me. I love them, right? I love you guys. See, when you play follow the leader, There is no one more important to the follower than the leader, right? There's no one more important. It has to be that way or else the follower won't be a very good follower, right? If I, as a follower, focus on other followers, I'm going to miss some things about the leader, right? Like if I look at Scott and I say, man, Scott is such a good Christian. He's, he's a guy that's following Jesus, and so I'm going I'm to emulate him. I'm going to work really hard to make my life just like him. What happens? Not good things, right? <laughs> because Scott's not perfect. Scott's not Jesus, right? And so if I look to live my life, to emulate my life after another follower and not the leader, I miss out. I miss out on some things that are, that are part of who the leader is. See, Jesus makes it very clear that in order to really follow him, in order to really follow him, he has got to be the most important thing in our lives. Here's here's the last part to our sentence, to our one sentence. When Jesus says, Follow me, he asks us to move with him as our leader, as the most important thing in our lives. He is my leader. He is my number one focus. He is my Lord. He's my master. He's my authority. My commitment is to him. My priority is him. What's important to him becomes important to me. Like that's what it's about. That's what he asks for. Let me say it this way. That's what he requires. He says, if you want to be one of my followers, I have to be your leader. I have to be the most important thing in your life. And when we do that, when we make him the most important thing in our lives, there's this beautiful promise attached to it. When he becomes our authority, it's not oppressive for us. When he becomes our our authority, it's not restrictive for us. It's certainly not boring. It's liberating, and it's life-giving. Life forever when this life ends, but also the fullness of life right here and right now. This is what Jesus says in John 8. He says, I'm the light of the world Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you follow me, you won't live in darkness. Who wants to live in darkness? I don't. I lived in darkness for 20 years in my life, and I hate it. I wish it would have been shorter. I want to live in the light of life. That's what Jesus offers us. That means the fullness of life here and now and life eternal to come. That's what he offers us if we commit to him. At the end of the passage in Mark 2 that we looked at, if you remember, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees who, who were very proud of themselves and, and thought that they had it all together spiritually, they looked at the people that Jesus was feasting with, the tax collectors and the sinners. And they asked the disciples, you remember, they asked the disciples, they're like, what gives, right? is what he says. They said, why does he, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard this He has super hearing, I guess, right? He he heard this, and he said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, quote-unquote righteous. He's being sarcastic. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees thought they were healthy. They saw themselves as doing pretty well, right? Right? They thought that they were already righteous. They had completely overlooked their sickness, their sinfulness. They were blind to it. And it kept them from seeing their huge need for forgiveness and for grace. So in their eyes, they look at Jesus, and there was nothing that Jesus offered them. Right? I don't need a doctor. I don't need to be made right. I don't need forgiveness. I'm doing just fine. Right? They looked at Jesus like there was nothing he could possibly do for them. My question to you is do you see yourself as sick or do you see yourself like one of the Pharisees? They completely missed what Jesus offered them and every single one of them needed. Guys, it's the same thing that every single one of us needs too. We need a doctor. You're sick. I'm sick. Jesus came to heal sick people that knew it. Not everybody knows it. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they didn't know it. And so they missed it. They missed out on being healed. Jesus offers us the light of life. To no longer live in darkness. To have forgiveness and grace, to have the hope one day of eternal life when this life ends, and to have fullness of life right here and right now. But in order to receive that, we have to commit to Him. So my question to you tonight is do you realize you're sick? Do you realize you need a doctor? And will you commit to that doctor?